0: Hello and welcome to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, part of the Awareness to Action podcast network. This is the podcast that looks at one film in each episode and uses it to explain the nine types and three instinctual biases of the Enneagram model of personality. One movie, one type. My name is Mario Sakura, and I'll be joined by Maria Jose Munita and Tamar Zanatti. We are the principals of Awareness to Action International, a global consulting and training company that specializes in practical applications of the Enneagram. You can find out more about us and our work at awarenesstoaction.com. In the meantime, make some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the show. So hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. This is the part two of our conversation with Tom Condon. Last episode, we talked about the movie Jerry Maguire and Enneagram Type 3. And since we had the uh, the pleasure and the luxury of having Tom with us, uh, we wanted to go on to talk about some other things, some of them movie-related and some of them not. I'm Mario Sakura, and I'm joined, uh, as always, with Maria Jose Munita. Hi there. And again, we have with us the, the legendary
1: Tom Condon. Tom, how are you? I think legendary that doesn't that mean you're old?
0: it does, yes, but uh, i you know i'm being I'm being nice to him. interesting
2: you can be old <laughs> and not legendary
1: so uh, this is oh, okay. true yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was aiming for that. <laughs> All right, so
0: Tom's a, 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 an old and good friend of uh, both Mario Jose and I. We've uh, spent a lot of time together over the years in various Enneagram conferences, and whenever we happen to find ourselves in the same city at the same time, that has included some interesting places over the years. So it's uh, we, we've had a lot of fun together, and always enjoy. Talking with Tom. And he's uh, one of the Enneagram teachers, as I was saying before, that I have learned from. Tom and I take different approaches to things in a lot of ways, but I have a lot of respect for uh, Tom and his work. It's intelligent and thoughtful and focused on results, uh, which I appreciate.
2: You know, I also appreciate the integrity of your work, Tom, and how you're willing to think about. Things you believe in or your experience, and take a fresh look at things. Uh, I don't say, see that often.
0: Yeah, what's that all about, Tom? What's that, what's that thinking thing? <laughs> It's, it's it's reality based. Uh, okay, good, good, good. All right. So, uh, speaking of reality based, uh, Maria Jose, you know, has some questions. We have some topics we're going to talk about, but go ahead, Maria Jose.
2: Yeah. So, as you were saying, I have spent a lot of time hanging out with you two, and for the people who are listening to us, you might not believe what these two talk about, but <laughs> <laughs> so you would think that they talk about any theory or very kind of high level. High minded. Yes. Yes. High minded. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now they might, I don't see this as a high minded thing, but well, so not explain when, not to when me. you're
1: around, not when you're okay. <laughs> so maybe it's just
2: me that you're pretending, yeah. but uh, so I, I need you to, to explain to me, what is it about zombie movies? that you older teachers of the Enneagram enjoy so much? Because it's not just you. I've had experiences with Ross as well. And there's something, mm-hmm. in my view, a bit pathetic, but <laughs> but you seem to really, really enjoy zombie movies. So what is it about these movies that you enjoy so much?
1: Uh, good zombie movies. Uh, there's oh, okay, those. that makes a difference. There aren't that many. Yeah, there, but there's a lot of really crappy ones. The, the crappy ones lack the depth and the texture and the, the themes and the implications that the, yes. that the good ones have. Yes. Um, so, 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 first of
0: all, zombie movies are just cool. Okay. I mean, there's just nothing cooler than zombies, the idea of these soulless, mindless creatures roaming the earth, you know, for one thing. There are also profound philosophical questions about this. In fact, there is the, you know, this whole uh, question in philosophy called the zombie dilemma, right? If you take a human... And they're exactly the same as a human is, but they have no soul, no anima, you know, what are you left with, right? So, this is much more high-minded than you might realize, Maria Jose. Um, <laughs> but in reality, it's just this cool idea that there are these creatures attacking you, and the only way to stop them is to bash them in the head. I mean, what's not to love?
1: Well, also, it, they, do, they do crop up when the economy turns down when there's mm. natural disasters, when there's pandemics. They pop up a little more, and it has to do with reflecting a feeling, I think, that people have in a broad way. But mm-hmm. that's all the thought I've ever given to it. I mean, there's zombie <laughs> movies. What's the matter you, with you?
2: Uh, do you see any correlations uh, in zombie movies with the Enneagram?
1: No, not particularly. <laughs> well, between uh, fast fast zombies and slow zombies, slow walkers, uh-huh. Obviously, three and nine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. So uh, for those just, of you, who that's just common sense.
0: Yes, yes. So, so for anybody who is not you know an aficionado of zombie movies, there are basically two kinds. There's the there's the fast zombies and slow zombies, right? And the slow zombies are the ones who are just kind of you know um, you know bobbing along uh, slowly and stupidly, whereas the fast zombies are uh, rabid, um, Tom. Uh, give me your top two or three zombie movies for people who are interested in exploring uh, are, this topic.
1: Are the, we going to cut this part out? No,
0: no, no. This <laughs> no. is great. This is this is no. <laughs> <laughs> interesting.
1: This, this is what our fans want, Tom. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, Shaun of the Dead. Twenty-eight days later. What would be another one? I'm not sure. Juan of the Dead, the Cuban one. Yes. That was pretty that was pretty good.
2: Uh-huh. That, I think that that movie, when I heard it from you, because I've never watched one, I will that thought will never leave my kind of mind. Um mm-hmm. because of yeah. It was interesting. Yeah, well
1: this is this is how it starts to affect people and it's really it really leads to some useful therapeutic inroads. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. So, so
1: I'm with you there
0: on Shaun of the Dead, uh, the, the the greatest of the zombie comedies. Uh, very funny movie. 28 days later, you know, a fast zombie classic. I will say that 28. Yeah, 28 Days Later, and then there was 28 Weeks Later. 28 Days Later is probably the only movie in my adult life that just scared the pants off me, right? Mm-hmm. I remember I remember seeing that in, in a theater and then going home to my empty house it was before I was married and turning on every light uh, mm-hmm. in, in the house. As mm-hmm. It freaked me out. I also agree, one of the dead was a great one. I'm going to give some credit to World War Z, okay? the Yeah, that was story. a
1: good film, actually. Yeah, yep.
0: I, I think so. It didn't get the recognition it deserved. I'm also going to throw in there the original Dawn of the Dead about the shopping mall. And yeah, that's the remake right. was good too, but
1: the, the original was great. Yeah, the one with Sarah Pauly. Yes. And, and Ving um, Rhames, yes. Also, there was one about old people in London where the uh, the Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. I can't remember the right. name of it though. Where the Right. There were scenes where the old person was walking on a walker and the zombie was a slow zombie, so he outran them, that kind of thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right good so uh so zombies are cool we've established that we've established that certain enneagram teachers have a bizarre fixation on uh zombie movies when we have russ on the show we're gonna have to talk about zombies again as well as pulp fiction which i know tom's not a big fan of tom's not a quentin tarantino fan right so
1: well,
0: um, it's a good film oh you liked okay all right good okay so let's let's transition here let's talk a little bit more about movies um
1: and try and ask program. a serious <laughs> question next time
2: <laughs> I wanted people to to see another aspect of two Energim gurus you know it's not uh-huh. just people who are full of themselves talking about serious stuff. I mean you're human beings which yeah, is yeah, a we're good thing. we're just a bunch of
0: idiots. Yeah no it's, no no it's no funny, no yeah. in my
2: mind I think that it's good to be a real human being, a complete human being that can play, be playful, and enjoy I, other things I rather must, than the. I,
1: I, I'm not liking the way you're pronouncing the words "human being." <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tom and I also
0: go to museums. Okay, can I point that out? That we've yeah, been to, you I go know, to a lot of the world's well. great museums together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Just okay. Out. okay. So let's talk a little bit about movies. Go ahead, Maria.
2: So. As we said in the previous podcast, uh, you've been working with movies in your practice, Tom, for a long time. So what drew you to um, movies as a way of understanding the Enneagram? And do you still use them? Do you still find them useful?
1: The the story I told before had to do with suddenly realizing I was seeing the Enneagram styles in movies. And I hadn't realized it. And began to sort of write about it and offer up insights based on people's needs to get more skilled and practiced at working with the Enneagram, kind of like a panel. I haven't revised the book in a few years, and one of the reasons is that people are, at least on social media, kind of doing something that has two aspects to it for me. One is where they'll snap judge a uh, public figure or without very much information and then the other the other side of that is sometimes that's a facet of learning because the enneagram is easy to learn but difficult to master and so people will find it useful to try to type public figures which by the way I believe you can do it had that purpose originally to to help people just get good at it and then there is this other side to that where I don't think they're getting good at it. I think they're playing a party game. And yeah. that that aspect of it is pretty unfortunate and nothing you want to enable. I agree with you. I, I also believe that you
0: can type public figures, um, but you have to be really careful about it, right? And I personally try to avoid it because I usually don't want to put in the energy to assuming I have it right, you know, or, or feeling mm-hmm. comfortable that I have it right. Uh, but I feel much more comfortable doing it with movies, because whereas with a public figure, you only see a glimpse of them, right? You see part of their life. But a movie is kind of a self-contained element, right? The, you know, yeah. the, the the actor doesn't, you know, the character doesn't go home and do different things, you know, when you're not watching, right? It's all right there. So you could say, well, based on this movie, this character looks like this. And we use movies in our trainings to mm-hmm. as typing exercises, right? Show movie clips. Right, and, right. you know, uh, so we find that to be useful as well. Uh, but I would agree with you that there's a lot of half assed uh, typing out there that goes on and uh, a lot of really superficial stuff.
1: Well, when somebody pulls it out of the top of their head and they just think that you can actually type based on very little information, they're not yeah. really taking it seriously, whatever else they're doing. And right. then, you know, they. lots of people say you can't type public figures, but I think that's entirely dictated by the amount of research you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all.
0: Yeah. And I know that's something you spend a lot of time on, right? That you're cautious and uh, about assessing people, but that you do do your homework on it, which is something I've always respected about you.
1: Uh, homework is, I mean, it's sort of like a, uh, typing a real person. You know, you may need several passes at it. You may yeah. need you may need to know within your own skill when you've almost got something or when something is a clue versus something is definitive.
2: Awareness to action offers a unique approach to applying the Enneagram professionally with leaders and organizations, as well as for personal development. What makes us stand apart is our Enneagram expertise, and focus on understanding human nature. We know people because we see people. And this is a skill set that can be taught and learned. Human nature is complex and simple at the same time. Our mission is to help people see clearly and act accordingly. Why? Because the ability to see ourselves and others clearly and honestly is essential. It enables us to act in more adaptive and useful ways. The multicultural team at Awareness to Action will help you learn tools and practices to become more aware and also to understand and engage people more effectively. Learn more at awarenesstoaction.com. Join us at 2021 for exciting learning opportunities. So what changed in your book, what kind of edits Not the specific ones, but uh, what are the main things that changed between editions to address what you just mentioned? Just
1: more. Yeah, more films. And I've been taking notes on films the last few years, even though I haven't included them in the book. But I still kind of keep an eye out for it. Yeah. That's
0: good. Yeah, I, I, I think we need to make the point that we have to be careful with these things because as we are living proof of, any idiot can start a podcast and start talking about Enneagram in the movies, right? So, you know, buyer beware when you watch these things on YouTube or uh, listen to people talk about it. Uh, you know, make sure folks, you and folks are doing their homework.
1: Or just just knowing when you don't know. Just knowing yes. what you don't know. That's yeah. That's really helpful.
2: And to keep... To be open minded and consider our assessment as a hypothesis that can change if we are here or see yeah. something kind of new information.
1: And stay open.
2: So, uh, what movies would you recommend for people who are interested in the Enneagram?
1: I saw a movie a couple of years ago that is on Netflix called The Founder with Michael mm-hmm. Keaton. And it has a, he's playing a three, he's playing Ray Kroc, the guy who. McDonald's created McDonald's basically. Yeah. And the movie is all about his search to for having a good assembly line for making hamburgers <laughs> and, and the various steps he took, you know, throughout. I don't know why we needed a movie about that, but it's not a bad movie. It's kind of odd. And he he kind of stole McDonald's from a couple of brothers in yes. Southern California who started the original ones. And they're played by a one and a two, and and mm. and he's playing a three, and it's mm. it's it's pretty obvious. That's a mm. that's a pretty good one. It's still around. The Imitation Game is pretty good for fives, uh, for a for, uh, you know a kind of yeah, microscopic a, a Cumberbatch. Yeah, who yeah. I think might be a five himself. He always uh, seems
0: to play one very frequently.
1: Yeah, he tried yeah. to play Julian Assange in a not very good movie. Oh really? But he played him as a five, also, which Assange is a five. Okay,
0: he's kind of also the uh, the latest Sherlock, right? Mm -hmm. In the BBC series, and plays a good five character there.
1: Yeah. Uh, There's a movie called Grandma with Lily Tomlin, and it was out a few years ago, and it's Uh it's a really good eight. Oh. And uh she she. Barrels her way through most of the movie, and then catches herself and starts to apologize. Mm. And this is this is it. There's a kind of contrast and a kind of arc that eights mm. go through anyway. But that's a that's a good film. Inside Out, that cartoon seemed to me like it had a seven and a four in it.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I still haven't seen that. Yeah.
2: You should. And a you one. See that
1: too, yeah. And yeah. a one also. Uh, Lewis Black yelling. <laughs> and there's a, a movie by Jim Jarmish called Patterson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. playing a nine. The, yeah, in, I thought nine. pretty conclusively. And yeah. his girlfriend is a seven. Mm. The yes. uh, iranian Iranian actress.
0: Yes, yes. Yes. He was the uh bus driving poet. Uh yeah, that's who it. Every, who every day would walk home to the same place past the same mailbox. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> Yeah, but,
1: yeah, great. And there's an old movie that you might uh, look for. It's it's on. It's available through various venues, uh, which is a great too. And the movie is the prime of Miss Jean Brodie. Uh, oh, it's great for for enneagram studies. It was yeah. a big hit back in the day. Any Woody Allen movie, any Mel Gibson movie, you have phobic yeah. and counterphobic sixes for the most part. There's a, yeah. a movie I mentioned to Mario called 13 Conversations About One Thing. And it's got a great... Uh, Alan Arkin is also a six, and he's in it. Mm-hmm. And it's got a great six-seven dynamic where the the six, Alan Arkin, is jealous of the good cheer of a seven co-employee, and he, he gets him fired and then goes through the sort of agony about what he's done and the cheerful employee takes the firing kind of painfully for the moment and then goes out and gets another better job and th- this keeps happening all through the movie you know the the there's the intent is to you know bring him down and he just bobs higher into positivity and it's it's very funny, but it's very vivid, too.
0: Great. I'll add uh, to the ninth thing. I'll add Wonder Boys, which I just watched again yeah, the other day. Yeah, there's the, a good you know, one. Michael Douglas' character. It's uh, a good four, a good seven in there um, as well. Um, so I, I highly recommend that, that yeah. movie. Yeah.
2: Going now to your practice as an Enneagram teacher, and you've been in more countries than Mario has been uh, teaching the Enneagram. Which is an interesting accomplishment.
0: It's quite a feat. Uh, You've been a lot of yeah. places to teach Genogram, Tom, so
1: yeah, haven't you? I, I travel a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so in your experience, how do students learn better? What is the context in which the learning can be enhanced and deeper and more effective? Do you have any particular things that work?
1: In my background, there's NLP, and NLP has a whole set of practices for what you call modeling. And it's what threes do in their defense, but it's also got to do with uh, modeling a a mentor, let's say, having a role model. And one time I went to a shamanism workshop with an anthropologist, uh, uh, Michael Harner, who had been studying shamanism in South America and had made a bunch of kind of very simple methods out of it. And I, I thought, oh, that'd be great to model how somebody becomes a shaman. And so I I asked him, I said, you know, what would you, st-? I explained what modeling was. I said, what would you say is the first step? And he said, well, have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and <laughs> that kind of rocked me back. But it, it also uh, comes to mind in relation to working with people in uh, as clients and also in teaching seminars everybody comes at it from a different angle and different set of life circumstances and a different a different need effective teaching i mean one of the things about in-person workshops which we can't do right at the moment because we've got uh, a pandemic is that you you might read about the enneagram but then you see it in 3d you know mm-hmm. It, it comes alive. It's actual people speaking out of their experience and you can correlate what you might've absorbed intellectually or through conversation with others. You can, you can really kind of get an idea of how it's an active happening. It's a, it's yeah. a, something that the person does rather than something that they are. Yeah. And in approaching things, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I usually teach how to use the Enneagram to grow and change and try and keep it sensory grounded, try and keep it in the world rather than getting too abstract. I, I understand why people have, you know, kind of bigger chunk models of how to grow and change within the Enneagram. I'm, I'm kind of aiming for doubles and triples rather than uh, yeah. home runs. And explain bigger chunk, Tom, for uh people who are not familiar with that how you're using that term there well your your question sends me into a thought pattern that I often have when I'm meditating and imagining myself on Mars, thinking back and looking back at my tiny little life on earth, and uh, everything suddenly seems meaningless yes. Or, yes uh i'm I'm trying to. Get in touch with uh, broader powers and and manifest uh, the 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 greatness that I sense is within me in, in my daily life. Contrast that with with smaller chunks. Well, so a big chunk would be you are on a you're on a journey and you you climb a hill and you you can see where you have come from and you can see where you're going. Yeah. That's the value of big chunks, in a way. You learn about the enneagram, you learn about the possibilities, you get inspired, and that inspiration maybe is not doesn't translate into tangible, definite steps, but it is something that motivates you and propels you forward. And then a small chunk by contrast would be taking things one step at a time. It's sort of like the paradox of the two is in the phrase think globally act locally or the beginning of a 1000 a mile journey begins with the first step it's it's that sort of thing and people will sometimes get overly focused on the small pieces or overly focused on the big picture but somehow there there there's a balance to both of them and a high side yeah. to both of them an advantage right. to both of them
0: yeah.
1: kind of a forest and trees
0: sort of thing right mm-hmm. um, yeah, and and that's again one of the things I appreciate about your work is that it is, you know, okay. So what do we do, right? It's it's nice to have a big idea, but now what, right?
1: Yeah, how does it translate into daily life?
2: So, Maureen, your experience, what what is something that works so that the learning really happens.
1: The the
0: discipline of practice, right? So, I mean, first of all, it, you know, it starts with someone who's willing to actually do the work, right? Instead of just talk about stuff. I had a coaching client today, not a corporate client, but he wanted me to coach him around the Enneagram, right? And each time I would start trying to put his feet on the floor and say, okay, but what are you going to do? he would start going back to you know all the horrible things that happened in his childhood right and how that shaped him and you know and so it has to start with somebody being willing to okay am i going to take some action here and being able to ground things in practical applications right so so what does this mean to my daily life right uh, you know how can i how will this make me a better husband a better father or a better worker or something like that so that it's not just a bunch of talk about stuff.
1: Also going near shadows, you know, going near the the third rail in someone's experience, what they're defended against feeling or or knowing about themselves. If there's some motivation and some willingness, then you know the quote unquote unhealthy reactions of their enneagram style are usually driven by something that occurs right before the reaction. In other words, there's you get close to something that gives you the willies or that you you' you've been walled off against for a long time or trying to manage as a as a wound rather than you know feel it, or it, it can be lots of things, but there's there's often a sort of holdover in the pattern to a defensive stance that somebody took earlier in life. And going near the 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 feelings or going near the experiences that are prevented by the defensive stance is often pretty valuable, and a kind of it it'll relax something within the person once they once they feel it, and that then makes disciplined and implementing changes easier. In daily life, in the way that you're talking about.
2: Yeah, in my case, I think something pretty basic but useful is uh, compassion. And I know that a lot of people say that. It's almost a cliche in in, uh, the Enneagram. But I truly believe that when you talk in a compassionate way way about the types, uh, the different personalities and people and help people see that what they're experiencing is or that what they do is normal. Really helps them open up to learning, mm-hmm. otherwise yeah. they get defensive and I see so much kind of bad um, this bad press about certain types, and these the terms that we sometimes use are more negative or our own biases make us talk more negatively about certain kind of people. And that is, goes against people learning, I think, or seeing themselves clearly. Yeah.
1: So one, one of my guidelines is uh, captured in the phrase from Ralph Emerson, the philosopher. People don't seem to realize that their opinion of the world is a confession of character, meaning in, in particular, meaning if you go to an Enneagram conference and you hear people talking about the Enneagram types that they like and dislike. Missing the point spectacularly, I would say. Then what? that's also a confession of character. They're talking about what is unintegrated in them. What, yeah. what potentials they sense they have, but they don't, they don't think that they have them. The, but somebody else has them. Sevens have them. Nines have them. And then also what they dislike will turn out to be a, an Enneagram style that they're connected to or the Enneagram style of a parent that they're still carrying and having a, a fight with, something like that. Mm.
0: So which Enneagram type do you like the least, Tom?
1: No, I'm, I'm
2: joking.
1: You have to find a way to sympathize with all of them and, get, and be fair <laughs> to all of them. And yeah. after a while, that's a good thing. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's a projection wrecker, for one thing, for a six. Yeah. You can't really project, you can't really condemn some aspect of humanity and embrace the rest of it. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram?
0: Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business friendly, and science minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we are the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awareness so, so what's the uh,
2: concept uh, that you have the hardest time teaching in a positive light or that you have had? It could be a personality style, it could be a theoretical concept that you don't respect or didn't respect and now you do. So is there anything that you have a hard time teaching in a positive light?
1: Well, I don't think I would teach it.
0: Yeah. Let me give a context for that. Uh, So, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, Maria Jose and I talk about sometimes is how we have to be careful about letting our biases slip in. For me, for example, I have a hard time uh, and this won't come as a surprise to you, but I have a hard time seeing and understanding male twos. Right. To me, it's just like, you know, why would that be? Right, I mean, not why would I have that issue, but why right. why would there be a male too? I, I I tend to be blind to them, right? And again, mm-hmm. that reflects, you know, some of my issues and biases, as you said there, right? It's easy to see and why they're, they're often
1: uh, they often manifest the style differently than than female twos. Mm-hmm. They really mm-hmm.
2: do, yeah. Or when we're teaching the instinctual biases, we sometimes see ourselves being a bit more negative about transmitting or preserving than navigating or sexual and uh, mm-hmm. self-press rather than social, in our case, in the other terminology. So it's not like we don't like them, but instinctively or, or non-consciously, we play it in a way that they don't seem that good sometimes.
1: Well, I mean, those are all things to work on. I yeah. mean, from my standpoint, the uh, anytime I found a bias, I would really try to kind of Uh, Pull up the ego weed that was, you know, uh, involved in it, and figure out what it meant about me. I mean, if you know Mario, you're an eight, and you got a built-in connection to two. If you're reacting to male twos, then that says something. Yeah, and it's it's, for the mill. Yeah, which uh,
0: absolutely. And what's interesting for me is not that I react to them in a negative way. I just have a hard time seeing them. Right. Yeah. When I'm assessing yeah. someone, it it's like the last thing to occur to me.
1: Oh, this right. is a two.
0: Right. You know, so yeah. it's it's you know, it's not a hostility in a sense so much as no, just No, but
1: there could be an I statement in that somewhere. Sure, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and
0: I think that was the point marie was making regarding the instinctual biases is that, you know, it is, a, the, you know, in our minds, the instinctual biases are very much reflections of values, right? So, you know, we pay more attention to this than we do to this, and therefore tend to just place a higher value on that domain. And therefore, when you talk about the other domains, there's can be a tendency to see more of the things that are you know not so great about it than the things that are great about it so,
1: for me but, the um the instinctual biases are really complicated because mm-hmm. the, we talk about somebody being a self-preservation subtype but there's there are people who are uh, equally self-preservation and social there in my experience there are people who have all three And then there are people who are very strong within, let's say, self-preservation subtype. And the expression of the other subtypes are pulled through that. The ultimate motivation is still self-preservation, but the other ones are kind of uh, warped in a certain way. I mean, yeah, we see, it's we see something
0: very similar. Yeah, it is messy. And we see something v- very similar in that we tend to act out the second and third domains through the lens of our primary domain. In, in the same way, in our sense, that when you're, you know, leaning toward another strategy in some way. So, for example, me as an eight, when I kind of lean on that two ish strategy, I don't become a two. I don't become two-like. No. I do not become too like i do 2 ish kind of stuff in an eight-ish sort of way, right? Uh, right, right. Or, so, so this idea, so, so I'm curious, and I, and I forget exactly what it was you said there that made me think of this, but so it's a different world, Tom, when, you know, today than when, when you started teaching, when I started teaching, even when Maria Jose started teaching these things. Uh, there's a, you know, when I first started learning the Enneagram, you know, there were a handful of books. There was your, material that was you know don and Russes. actually at that point it was only don on the books and you know helen and a few other things uh, give me a give me a state of the enneagram from your perspective and i know i'm kind of opening a door here that uh you know uh you know might not uh, be that happy to talk about but tell me how the enneagram world's different
1: we can't today. we can't use the word viral anymore Uh huh. Yeah, this is true. It's
0: taken on a different meaning, huh?
1: But it's gone in all kinds of directions, and that seems like it could have been predicted. Talking a little bit earlier about the party game enneagram, and there's a a way in which it's spread wide but trivialized. But then it's it's made to be applied, and so it is being applied and being applied through a range of human endeavors. Uh, Ultimately, this will be used for somebody's highest aspiration and wanting to kind of transcend their personality limits. And then some idiot's going to use it for uh, eugenics at some point. (laughs) I mean, it just seems obvious. (laughs) So the whole range. And then within the little Enneagram movement, I would say that, about 2006 2007 it started to sort of split in a mm. in a subtle way uh, not an antagonistic way but that's when business consulting came in and the applications to business and team building and real world stuff and then there was another arm of it that got more religious or was more uh, kind of formed by the theology that was already attached to the Enneagram, but it became uh, a religion in in and of itself at its worst. Yeah. Yeah. At its best, it's sort of uh, a big chunk framework for gauging how far you are uh, progressing, and then all you have to do is add in the little chunks, the daily steps. Yeah, I'll, I'll just note that 2006 was the year awareness
0: to action. Was published, um, and uh, so it, it was a groundbreaking moment in Enneagram history. So, uh, oh, that's, that's, that's when I yeah,
2: yeah, attended thrilling. my first Enneagram workshop.
1: There you go, ruined everything. Right. <laughs> I feel, I feel hallowed and honored, and uh, we're we're part of a sacred movement, <laughs> or not. So, so,
0: so it's it, you make an interesting point. You know, so there is this sort of democratization of the Enneagram, right? This uh, uh, proliferation, and there's always going to be a watering down of that. And there are some, it seems to me, who feel that it should be more closely held and more tightly held, right? Mm. Uh, I know, for example, with myself, I tend to get frustrated with some of the memes that I see and, you know, what type should you marry, you know, and uh, I've even seen like what, you know what's your enneagram type birthday cake flavor you know kind of things
1: yeah. um, what type breathes what type breathes the most <laughs> right,
0: right. Uh, and uh, th- there was one I saw recently of, you know, which Enneagram types never think about the past or the future, um, right. you know, which is an interesting And then there question. was a whole
1: list. There was a whole list, yes. and I, I thought every <laughs> one of them was wrong.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I also think, you know, there, so there's the temptation, and I'll speak for myself here, to turn into the grumpy old man, you know, of, you know, uh, these people, are so shallow these days sort of thing. And yet, I think that's just part and parcel of the, what happens. And yes. it's a sign that the Enneagram is getting out to more people. And that's not a bad thing.
1: No, it's not. And also, you know, when you learn about the Enneagram, if it hits you in the right place in the right way, it's sort of like buying a new car. You know, you 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 have a you bought a Volkswagen and now that's all you see on the road. Mm-hmm. You start looking for it everywhere and it starts right. and it's hard to really learn and integrate and go beyond your teacher's version of it and make it your own. And so you've got that involves a lot of repetition as well. And you don't know when somebody's trivializing it or sounds like they're trivializing it, whether they are whether that's what they're doing or whether they're just you know, learning something that's really hard and detailed.
2: Yeah, so, so I agree and also th- see that people, and we all go through these phase, but we fall in love with Enneagram. We see that it's useful. We like it. We see that it's, uh, it reflects what we're seeing in ourselves and other people. But then you continue to try building on it and trying to apply it theoretically to everything and trying to continue to grow the model, like all the types that do this, all the types that do do that. And to me, when I see that, I think it can be fun. But to me, it's a lot more interesting to observe how it it shows up in real people, Mm -hmm. how to learn by experiencing the growth of people or the struggles of people instead of trying to continue modeling and creating a, a bigger model. That explains everything, because the more you try to explain the subtleties, the less useful it's going to be.
1: Yeah. yeah, I my angle on it was always, well, what do you what do you do now? You know, once you yeah. once you learn these appalling things about your fallen state, which is pretty yeah. much all they were teaching when I first came across <laughs> it. Uh, what do you do now? What what kind of methods do you use? And there were yeah. a couple of methods, you know, one was meditate and try to disassociate and try to, you know, kind of recognize your pattern rather than react out of your pattern. And the other one was to go against your pattern, to kind of oppose it. You're you're a one, you're judgmental. Knock that shit off, you know, stop being judgmental. Stop it. Yeah. yeah. Stop the it. The Bob Newhart thing, right? The Bob Newhart thing. And so people would struggle that way and sometimes it you know, it it helps in a limited way, but it also kind of strengthens the the reaction as well. You know. Yeah. But people are yeah. people are different, even within Enneagram styles, amazingly. And yeah. there's you know, there are different phases in their life, they have different challenges, they have different personal histories, they have different, you know, sort of dimensions of their experience that they disassociated from or sat upon. And they have different uh, strengths. They have different combinations of some of these other distinctions we make. And yet they're individuals. That's another thing that needs to be kind of factored into it from from my standpoint.
0: Um stuck a little bit on or i'm going back a little bit to you know what you said about this idea of rejection and the backfire effect that happens there right i mean if anybody's familiar with cognitive biases we know that the more tightly somebody holds a point of view the more tightly they will hold on to it when they you know uh, when somebody tries to disabuse them of the notion right and i think that happens on an individual level when we start to reject this thing you know this. Whatever we want to call it an ego fixation or a pattern, and so i'm I'm in full alignment, you know there that that's the wrong for for me, it's the wrong approach to try and reject this fundamental f- aspect of ourselves. And so our approach is to work with the strategy, right? work with our narratives mm-hmm. about the strategy. So in my case, it's around striving to feel powerful. The problem I have is that I have these limited implicit definitions of what powerful means and some of those implicit definitions carry maladaptive behaviors with them i don't have to be nice to people you know they have to be nice to me because that's what being powerful means and so our approach is to start to challenge or not not challenge so much but to redefine uh, those definitions yeah yeah um do you do anything similar to that or you know what is your approach of kind of not resisting or not rejecting but working with
1: so we're striving to be powerful uh the thing i mentioned before would come into it uh what happens right before you strive to be powerful and what uh that that gets you at at a certain point it gets you to a shadow It gets you to some point of vulnerability, some way in which the person's defending themselves that may be outmoded or extraneous or obsolete, and usually relates to their earlier understanding of life and who they were and what was possible. And the other... I'm having a senior moment. What was the other part of that
0: question? (laughs) Uh, Well, I was just uh, about your, you know, what your approach to kind of uh, rather than working against or rejecting, working with what you have.
1: Sometimes if somebody is resisting a certain feeling, but it's there sinking into that feeling, Mm -hmm. uh, giving it its due, trying to cast around, you actually do this in, in a different sort of way. Casting around for what the motivation is, what the person unconsciously thinks they're trying to do for themselves, how Mm -hmm. they're trying to defend themselves, for example, how they're trying to protect themselves. You would call it commitments, I think. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what they're committed to is sort of the same way of talking about what we call secondary gains. What are the perceived unconscious advantages of continuing to react like an unhealthy six, an unhealthy eight, an right. unhealthy one. Right. And yeah. what is it that you think you're trying to do for yourself? And then it, I have NLP in my background also. With NLP, you're focused on the senses and what the sensory quality of an experience is rather than an abstract idea or a word that encompasses an experience. It's more like what do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you taste? What do you smell? What do you feel in your emotions versus what do you feel in your body? And then there are what they call submodalities, which is if a a six, for example, is scaring themselves, they don't do it with a small picture. They do it with a large picture. It's got to be big. It's got to be loom over them, maybe be larger than they are. So they feel like maybe a child in relation to a giant image of an authority figure. There's a uh, soundtrack to it, and sometimes the soundtracks are rather loud. It's sort of like sitting in the front row in one of those multi-theaters that we have now, where the um, the sound is really loud and the pictures right. Uh, right looming over you. And then maybe there's anxiety in the chest and tension in the belly, or vice versa. But those are they're not rigid, but they're consistent. And if you think about it. You know, if you're going to scare yourself, you're not going to do it with a postage-sized uh, picture yeah. of, a, it's inefficient. of a growling yeah. demon or something, or a Rare. zombie. A zombie. It's a zombie. <laughs> That's right. And it's, it's not
0: going to be a slow zombie. It's going to be a fast zombie. It's going to be a, going to a fast yourself, zombie. Right?
1: It'll be exactly. moving. Often the pictures yes. are moving. They're movies rather yes. than still frozen pictures. That's mm-hmm. how you scare yourself.
2: Yeah. So,
1: a a given six... They'll have some sort of set of sensory perceptions that are typical when they're scaring themselves, and approaching it that way is like a can opener. Sometimes mm-hmm. It's another way to talk, you were talking about this before, Mary Jo, the, the way in which you can talk about Enneagram styles, and it's like being honest, but without being judgmental where you can, you know, sort of talk in this neutral way. Well, here's the high side, here's the low side. You know, this is typical. Here are some strengths that you, that you might not have recognized, you know, that the model points out. And yeah. it, it's even more that way when you can talk about it in a sensory grounded way. Yeah. And then yeah. getting a person sort of aware of and in touch with how they are doing something to themselves. You could have terminology like a six is a fear type, but actually a six scares themselves. That's different. It's more active. It's more voluntary. Or you could talk about nines having a mental fog that comes in and takes them over and they have amnesia for their priorities. But if you work with nines and they say, well, I'm just seeing fog, there's a self hiding in that fog and one of the ways that i find it useful to talk about that is to say is to ask the person how they what what their sense is of what they're hiding how they're hiding mm-hmm. hiding is a more active thing than saying oh well the fog rolled in and i had to wait till the afternoon before the sun burned it off <laughs> and, you know that kind of thing right 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 where it right. becomes an excuse
0: are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business friendly, and science minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development team-building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula, accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com.
2: It's it's interesting to me to hear this, Tom, because it's kind of a different angle to what we do, but mm-hmm. they complement each other when mm-hmm. we talk about the strategies and the root of the strategies being a feeling need, and then that affects the way we think and then the actions. And I think all of that you can describe as well by these things you're talking about. It's the logic of the person, it's how we do it, the things we say to ourselves or think about when we are in these patterns so it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how it adds these different perspective to something uh, yeah. similar well
1: it it would add to a an auditory story you know a person tells themselves oh i've missed my plane i uh, but what do you expect i'm irish you know uh, bad luck follows me everywhere but in addition to that, there's movies in the mind's eye or pictures that are also part of the story, and then there's uh, feelings in the body or uh, habitual emotions that are also part of the story. Yeah, it's it's
0: uh, for me, it's it's the idea of uh, the enneagram as a verb rather than mm-hmm. nouns. Right. Yeah. It's this idea that it's this you know cluster of things that we do. And whether that doing is, you know, feeling certain things, thinking certain things or acting in certain ways. But it's about it's it's kind of a label that we put on behaviors and actions mm-hmm. and feelings uh, rather than an ontological, you know, platonic category in some way. It's it's I was talking with somebody earlier about this today and and it's, you know, you're you're a singer because you sing right mm-hmm. you don't sing because you're a singer right you're you know mm-hmm. you're not born something and therefore you do it and that's how i feel about the enneagram as well right we call you a six because you do these certain things and that's the label we put on that right uh whereas maria jose does these other things and we put a different label on that right but it's really about the at the pattern of Action.
1: And when people react strongly out of the low side of their Enneagram style, they're in a state of defendedness from my standpoint. Mm -hmm. They're defending something. And usually what they're defending is uh, kind of unconscious or it's got to do with something in their history or some way in which they understood how to organize their experience or uh, a role that they fell into playing in their family system growing up. Mm -hmm. And so the the, for me, the ontological part of it is what's what preceded the them right. arranging themselves and using themselves in that particular way, and right. the the past is not a cause, but it's a context in which right. certain behaviors get going.
2: So, um, so um, we've talked about the benefits or the good things about seeing and understanding the, the enneagram um, as we do. And we also talked about the new trends or the new things that are coming up in the Enneagram world. So what do you envy about younger Enneagram teachers? Uh, what about the, dem- what they are the able number of years with- they have ahead of them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what would you take from them? And, and here, uh, I've been teaching the Enneagram for 13 years already. Uh, so I don't see myself as young anymore, so uh I'm part of these questions. So what is it that you would like that you, you you envy of these new teachers of the Enneagram?
1: this This has history to it as well. I first got involved in it and became known uh when Don and Helen were at each other's throats, basically. And there were two versions of the Enneagram they were fighting for primacy uh they were fighting for territory and the it got worse when the the i e a was created because you know it's one of those umbrella organizations that's supposed to unify business competitors, but you know it just makes it <laughs> makes it more extreme and i i kept and then there were lawsuits also. Like uh, Oscar Ichazo sued Helen Palmer, and I thought basically I had a perspective on it from the standpoint of using it to grow and change. I didn't agree with or want to join either party. I was friendly to everyone, but I, I had seen this before. I'd seen it in the NLP world where people were cutting each other's throats. And what I decided to do, and what I've what I've come up against. 40 or 50 times over the years is I decided to double down on my own version of things rather than be a representative of one version or another, or, you know, the somebody's body of knowledge, but not the, my body of knowledge. And in doubling down, it it felt like the road was driving. It, It felt like it was the only thing to do. And people were talking back then in like the mid-1990s, for example, uh, uh, one of the Enneagram teachers had the idea that we should all agree upon 15 or 20 adjectives that described each Enneagram style and stick with those, uh, and we shouldn't vary from it. You know, the drive to make it into some sort of uniform thing, whereas I didn't, you know, the Enneagram's a model. Models aren't exactly real. They're replicas of something, and it was a really good description, a really good, uh, deep, meaningful model in in that sense. But it uh, people were talking about it like it was a real thing that uh, belonged to them. Yeah, i <laughs> I just, and, I just <laughs> thought I just thought it was hopeless, and and that hasn't gone away though. Yeah. No, no. Actually, I went through it again recently. I, I don't. You know, you go through these things less intensely each time. But right. there was some point of horror when I was online at, in some social media forum where I, I just thought oh, this is this is hopeless. I'm I'm yeah. I'm going back to what I know best. And when right. I've done that, I I dig deeper each time. Yeah. And in the deeper digging, it's that's been really useful cuz there wasn't even back in the day i knew nobody was seeing it the way i was seeing it and right. i thought that there should be different versions of the enneagram although not fundamentally different that uh but different angles on the same thing yeah. and especially about using it to grow and change rather yeah. than joining a club you know all this other stuff that people do with it
0: i i think we're aligned on that you know i mean we've talked about this you know over the years that you know to assume that there's only one holy truth of the enneagram is is Kind of foolish. You know, it's a body of knowledge, and any body of knowledge that doesn't evolve and uh, open itself to different perspectives and approaches is pretty useless, as far as I'm concerned. There's a certain fundamentalism inherent in that point of view. Yes, there is. And um, it is one of the, I think, the Uh, You know, and my comment earlier about that hasn't gone away uh, because it does resurface. Right. I think there is this, you know, there's always this reaction. There was a woman who wrote a book about loose cultures and tight cultures and how culture is always kind of shifting in response to, you know, it gets tight. And then there's this reaction that needs to loosen it again. And then there's a reaction against the looseness has to tighten again. And mm-hmm. uh, so this is always, you know, it's lumpy in the way this plays itself out. And I see some of that in the Enneagram world today in, a, in kind of a troubling way. But I'm with you that there's you know there's you know god made chocolate and vanilla for a reason right because you know people are different and will take different approaches as long as as long as a model is internally and externally consistent uh, i'm okay with it right internally consistent and in that doesn't contradict itself and externally and that it kind of describes what it claims to be describing right so that, you know that's something i appreciate in your perspective On
2: this, so something that I've seen you both doing and uh, that I've learned along the way to do as well is to. Oh, no,
1: the zombies. Uh No, 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 no. no.
2: (laughs) So, before the main way in which people learned about new stuff in the Enneagram was conferences. Um, Now, with the internet, you learn, you can learn pretty much anywhere. So, in conferences, for those of you who don't go or listening, Marion, Tom have their own way of attending the presentations. And so Mario sits at the back and halfway through the presentation, he leaves, even if he makes it to halfway.
0: Halfway is generous. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yes. And Tom stands at the back or pops his head (laughs) uh, at the door and listens to a bit of it and then leaves. Now I know that you both uh, are curious about new stuff And I've seen Tom, uh, and and I know that, Tom, you listen to the recordings. So surprisingly, you know what's being said. You just don't stay for the whole presentation at the conference. So in this new world with the internet and all these virtual conferences, what's the equivalent of standing at the back and then listening to the recording or reading what's being written? There's
1: plenty of recordings and, you know, courses you could sign up for if you
2: wanted. And a lot of free but for stuff, you, too. But for you, how do you stand at the back in this new world? I try to ignore it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's, I get more out of ignoring it than I do out of paying attention to it. The, mm-hmm. the tendency to stand in the back at real conferences, physical conferences, started some time ago because uh, after I was somewhat known in the little context, of the enneagram world if i stuck if i stuck my head in the door if i came into a workshop i would hear a catch in the presenter's voice and i i just thought between not wanting to put extra pressure if that's what that meant and also not wanting to leave halfway through the conference or halfway through the presentation It was much better to leave right away, and I would get a sense of what they were saying and a sense of how they were saying it, and then I'd listen to the recordings later. Uh, But it was, it it was mostly that, and then I just kind of uh, kept doing it.
2: So, Mar, in your case, how does it play out now?
1: I find
0: myself less and less drawn into enneagram discussions. Certainly, enneagram few I've been working with the Enneagram for twenty seven years now, and honestly, even though it's a big part of my world it's not a big part of my life right um if that makes a difference right It's almost like a a job, and I always say that if I were a plumber, I wouldn't go home and talk about pipes over dinner so i I try to you know dip in every so often to see what's new and what's fresh. But I just, you know, whenever I dip my toe into an Enneagram forum or, you know, something like that, I really regret it and want to get out uh, as quickly as I can. So Tom's more generous and more kinder, I think, than I tend to be. You know, he's more gracious in uh, being open-minded to what other people have to say. I find myself less and less interested in getting grumpier as I get older, unfortunately, at least related to the Enneagram, I think.
1: Also, I, I I sort of don't want other people's vocabulary. Yes. In my vocabulary. I, I always thought it was important to develop your own examples, your own lived yes. uh instances of yes. rec- using the Enneagram in whatever way. And yeah. I thought that was I thought that was better. I I
0: fully agree. And when we started writing awareness to action, I kind of cut down on the amount of Enneagram reading I was doing, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time because of that very thing. I wanted the ideas to be coming from my experience rather than things that I unconsciously picked up. Uh, right. From other people yeah, that's 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 a really important part. so i have I have one final question here. I, I don't know if you have anything else, Mario Jose, but I think we should wrap up soon. But you know we, we share the point of view that it's good to have different perspectives on the Enneagram, and uh, you know and, and again, I think if you look at any body of knowledge, particularly around, about the psyche, the body of knowledge tends to in some way reflect the theorist right? Uh, the the person who created the ideas. I certainly see that in my work, that, you know, a lot of what I, a lot of my emphasis tends to be a reflection of who I am.
1: Your opinion of the Enneagram is a confession of character. Sure.
0: Yes. Uh, I'm curious how that is for you, Tom. and in, in what way does Tom Condon come out
1: in your application of the Enneagram? The angle on it That it should count for something and should go lead to growing and changing. Like I said, there were very few options when I first got involved with it. And I think it was a a polarity response on my part of uh, as a counterphobic six, as a, you know, thinking, well, this, you know, this can't be all this can't be it. And, you know, there's there's a paucity of methods that go with this but i know a lot of methods and right. they a lot of them really apply and yeah. it, it was from that standpoint and so it was kind of like saying oh you know to the people who were saying well here's your enneagram type it it kind of fell from the sky it's genetic you're stuck with it you know you can do 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 your best with it you know and try to meditate on it and go against it and I thought, you know, there's so many other ways to approach this. Uh, I, I,
0: I, I, and I like that. And again, that's one of the reasons why I appreciate your work so much, because it is about method. It is about, okay, I have this piece of knowledge. What do I do with it now, right? Mm. I mean, how, how do I make my life different in some way?
2: Is there any particular term? Because we were talking in the previous question about terminology, that it you, you'd like it to be kind of your own your stamp on your body of knowledge. So is there one word that you particularly like about your approach? One term that you would highlight as?
1: Well, using it to, using it to grow and change. I, I'm not really sure about a term or a, a body of knowledge or a, how I'll be remembered. So, the, and, and again, this
0: idea of change, I mean, this makes me think of uh, something that, uh, um, I, I apologize, we haven't done is to kind of plug your you know, website and your work and where people can find out more about you. And, uh, your website is the change works, right? Uh, give all us your one, website,
1: Tom. It's the change works, all one word, dot com. Yeah. Great. Um, uh, there's, I have a lot of recordings and a couple of books and, uh, some videos all available through the shameless commerce division. <laughs> hey. yeah. uh, I, well i i encourage
0: our our listeners to go there and to visit uh tom and his work you know i've been in the enneagram game a long time seen a lot of people come and go uh, tom's one of the good guys so visit his website Read his books, watch his videos, and uh, you'll be better off for it. So, Tom, we want to thank you for uh, joining us uh, for these couple of hours here. Uh, with, Thanks for having uh, me. It's been, it's been a pleasure. All right, good. All right. Maria Jose, as thank always. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And uh, we will see you next time on the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. Wow. Thank you for listening to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, part of the Awareness to Action podcast network. Find out more about the Enneagram and our offerings at awareness to com. And if you enjoyed the episode, please go online and give us a review. We'll see you next time.